0: Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay guys, well welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites. I'm your host Colin Zhu and thank you for listening on. Today I have an amazing guest for you today. Her name is Dr. Charmaine Gregory. Say hi to everyone Charmaine.
1: Hey, how is everybody doing?
0: (laughs) I am so happy that she's here. Um, For those of you who do not know who she is, she is a fellow podcaster like myself, and she is the host and founder of Fervently Fit with Charmaine Gregory, MD. Um, She's a wife, she's a mother, and she's a night shift emergency physician. And she is all about fitness and health. And that's what I love about her. And she started her own women's community. And and she takes them through a wellness journey through fitness, nutrition, life, and leadership coaching. So I'm so glad for her to be here and to kind of share her story. Um, My first question to you is, Tell me where you're calling from, and you know just a little bit about yourself. I know you've uh, kind of, you know, took us through um, a health journey, you know, from your website, but I would love to hear about it from your, you know, own words of how you kind of went from point A to point B to kind of got inspired to be on this life path of yours.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So I am from sunny and hot. Michigan, just kidding. Not <laughs> sunny or hot, but um definitely Michigan. And and literally, as I'm looking out the window right now, we have a winter wonderland with a lovely sheet of snow that fell overnight. So that is where I am currently from. So where am I from originally? I am Jamaican. I was born in Jamaica, West Indies, and spent 10 years of my life there and then ended up coming to the States and have lived in many different places, but have ended up here in Michigan for the majority of time. So, super excited about that. And uh, as far as uh, how did I get on a journey where I was embracing or I am embracing fitness and wellness? Well, I was raised a very active lifestyle. So, as you can well imagine, when you live someplace warm like Jamaica, there basically is a constant activity. So, I played all the sports, I did track, I did netball, all that stuff coming up. And then when it came to the States, I still remained involved in sports and I was very active all throughout high school and college and medical school. (laughs) That was more challenging, of course, but uh, definitely remained active. So active, active all the way through medical school, residency, and the majority of my career in emergency medicine, I would say probably um, up until after my third child. So active even throughout the pregnancies. Um, I did a, actually, it's crazy because my last pregnancy, I, um, I was able to run a 5K at 20 weeks, which is crazy, yeah. um, but uh, very active throughout the whole pregnancy. After that oh. child, though, I um I did not prepare very well for running season. So I mean I'm not when I say this I'm not saying that I am an elite runner because I am very far from it. I'm one of those people who are kind of like weekend warriors, you know, they go and they like mm-hmm. maybe doing a race but then they you know they do it slowly, but they finish. That that's me. So I'm not one of the you know I'm not a 4 minute uh, per mile kind of person, um, so anyway, so there I was, you know, getting ready for running season after that third child, not really preparing as well as I should have, um, I was older, of course, um, and uh, taking a lot of things for granted, which we tend to do, and um ended up hurting myself, so I ended up hurting my right knee. And the problem with that was that the, the injury itself was a bit cryptic because I, um, uh, I ended up uh, going to my orthopedist and getting all the scans because that ER doc is, has a leg that's swollen and is immediately going to think they have a DVT. So I got multiple DVU scans and saw the orthopedist. They took fluid off. They did an MRI. No one could figure out what was wrong. The injury persisted for almost a year. Um, And throughout this time, basically, I had a complete atrophy of my right um, thigh um, and a diminished uh, range of motion to the right knee and became completely out of shape, like absolutely went down to from, you know, working out several times a week to pretty much doing nothing. Um, And as then you can well imagine, you know, if you're still eating the same, not that I was eating like enormous amounts of food, but even if you're just eating the same amount of food and you're not burning it. Um, you know, you tend to have an aggregate of, um, pudge, <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I ended up having my aggregated pudge, like right around the midline, midsection there. And so, um, you know, That's it was, nice uh, it. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's gotta be euphemistic yeah. about it. And so, uh, it was, it, it wasn't until, so eventually the thing got fixed. Um, I went intraoperatively to diagnose me with the knee of a 60 year old, even though I was only like 38, I think at the time. Um, and um, also noticed that I had a tear, a meniscal tear that was not detected on the MR. So, anyway, he fixed me up and I was good to go and um, started to kind of get back into a routine, but. I had to give a talk to the resident doctors, so this was like in the fall of that year, and um, I go into my closet to retrieve my favorite suit, and I take it off the rack, and I'm admiring it, and I'm like, "Oh, this is gonna be my this is my lucky suit. I'm, I, I'm gonna get my suit on. It's gonna give me courage to give this talk to the residents and really like share with them what they need." And uh, I put the jacket on, and I could not even get the button and the buttonhole to come in the mm. same universe. And I was just <laughs> devastated. And then I tried to put the pants on and forget that. I didn't even go over my hips. Okay. So um, that was a pivotal moment for me. Um, one that led to me essentially laying on the floor of the closet and just like, you know, soaking the closet floor with my tears because I was so distraught. And it was also an epiphany though, because I said to myself, this is not right. This is not me. I've had an active lifestyle my entire life. You know, I cannot let, you know, the consequences of this injury completely take me out. And I had to do something. So what ended up happening is I joined a support group with. So we homeschool our children. And so I was in a bunch of like homeschool mom groups. And so one of the moms, she was getting ready to get started on her fitness journey and she was starting an accountability group. So I just joined that group and it was pivotal in my transformation because it Mm. provided accountability. It provided um, like a regimen, not a regimen, but like a uh, structure, provided structure. Like routine, and so, and you know, ultimately that's right. Routine and infrastructure and support, right. These are all the things and accountability because, you know, that, you know, there are days you get up and you're like, ah, I don't really want to work out today. But then, you know, you have to like post a picture of your workout <laughs> in the group and you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I got to do it. So it was that, um, that really helped. And so, uh You know, over months, of course, I had a transformation in my physical form. you know, I was able to fit back in that suit again, and by the way, I still can fit into that suit years later, which i 'm super excited about and um and so uh, during that time, though, there was also a transformation that was happening mentally because part of this support group was not only, you know, doing the exercises and holding each other accountable, but it was, you know, making sure that you read something that's going to contribute to your personal development on a daily basis, even if it's a few pages or listening to something that is going to um, bolster your personal development. So I had a mental transformation. Because I was now focusing on my physical form and also focusing on my mental toughness. And it was then that I realized that what actually was happening to me and um, part of what the that whole incident on the floor of the closet brought to light, and the fact that the suit wasn't fitting also brought to light, was that I was actually going through physician burnout. So when that was revealed, it was a uh, shock to the shock to the heart. It was literally a slap in the Mm. face. It was so many things, so many emotional things. But I, um, I, I realized that, you know, the, The dance that i did every single night before i went to work because i'm a night shift doctor every single night i went to work the dance was much like this the alarm would go off i would lay in the bed and i would have to tell myself to move my body to sit upright to swing my legs around to put a foot on the floor to put another on the floor to make one foot go in front of the other to the bathroom and then when i got to the parking lot of my hospital I literally had a death grip around the steering wheel and had to literally tell every last finger to release themselves from the wheel so that I could open the door, put feet on the asphalt and go into the building to serve the people that I worked so many years and have you know trained so hard to be able to serve. So I thought that was normal and it wasn't until, I, w- I like to say it got my mind right and that I was able to do the introspection that was necessary to figure out that what was happening to me wasn't normal. Mm. And so then I got on a mission. I was like, okay, this is happening to me. I don't know how many other people it's happening to. It wasn't like around that time, it wasn't very, um, it's not as, uh, I would say, out there as far as people saying that they're burnt out or talking about burnout. I mean, I know burnout has been talked about in some shape or form in medicine for like the past 20 or 30 years, but the focus now is just more, um, I guess, ubiquitous, I would say. Uh, Whereas when I was going through it, I thought I was the only person going through it. I had no idea that, um, that it was something that others were experiencing. And so I started talking about it. I started saying, talking to the leaders in my group. I started talking about it just all the time. Like, this is what I was going through. How could I, how could this have happened to me? How could I have gone from a very excited, super, you know, motivated, a new attending that was like, you know, just finished residency. And essentially, you know, she was thinking like, this is the, this is the place where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a difference in emergency medicine. I am going to just be awesome at this. And to go from that to having to convince my body just to rise up out of the bed and stand when I'm supposed to be going into the thing that I really love, you know? So, um, it was definitely very. it was very eye opening. And as I started talking more about my own experience, it became very clear to me that I was not alone. And I just kept on sharing the things that I learned, the things that worked for me. And, um, I think that that has evolved not only from the physical fitness side, because I share that. And from the, um, transformational side, the mental transformational side, which I also share, um, the wellness, uh, that I focus on for colleagues is more towards the wellness that's associated with how do you thrive despite burnout mm-hmm. or how do you circumvent the thing, walk around, step over, however you are going to navigate it, but recognition of it. And then, then from there, the way forward. So that's really like what, happened to me, uh, as far as a physical issue that really turned into a manifestation of a mental issue. Um, and then now is like, you know, part of the things that I talk about, um, a lot when I, when I get on stages, et cetera.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, I think sharing a story is, is powerful, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, I just recently came uh, at the time of this recording, I just came out of a podcast uh, conference and you and I were talking about it before this interview. And a lot of it is really the central piece is storytelling and, you know, really creatively expressing who you are, you know, maybe what you've been through, what you've experienced, you know, things like that. And, you know, for you, um, you know, I can see so many different colors and so many different notes in terms of your experience and how you got to this point. Um, you know i uh you know obviously i share you know your medical experience um i practice, you know, as a family physician, um, you know, done, you know, a few, you know, shifts in the ER, um, wasn't really a big fan of it, Um, (laughs) Very chaotic, you know, high pace environment, um, but very much needed, you know, people come in um, to really seek help. um, And it's a lot, you got to give a lot of props and kudos to um, the nursing staff, um, the support staff. um, And, of course, you know, the emergency room docs, you know, that do that, especially during night shift. Um, for those in my audience members who do not know what a DVT is, is basically um, a concern for finding a blood clot um, in your leg. And, um, you know, it's a very, very problematic um, issue because it could, you know, easily go into, um, you know, your lung and heart system. But I, um, I think, you know, in terms of your health journey, you um, you know, I had a meniscal tear myself, um, you know, a few years back, maybe around like junior high, high school um, time. So I know what it's like Mm -hmm. to be out, you know, for a little bit and um, to have your leg atrophy and to not be able to get back on your feet like you're, you know, used to and to get back on your feet and just do the normal routines, you know, just like little micro movements, how you're talking about, you know, getting one leg out and getting your legs on the floor and gripping the steering wheel and, you know, all that, you know, you pay attention to micro movements that sometimes you, you know, take for granted that you don't do on a normal basis, you know? Um, So I, you know, I think, I think... All those different points that you put together so nicely um, has brought you to this and uh, has made you so, I can hear so much, um, you know, power and, you know, courage and bravery for you to get from point A to point B. And now you're on the the main stage and, you know, now you have your own podcast and all that other stuff. So that's, you know, definitely kudos to you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's a road. It was a road.
0: <laughs> um. So let's talk a little bit more about, you know, burnout. Um, sure. you know, uh, a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, it is a hot topic, you know, nowadays. And, you know, as you know, has as you said before, it's been around for like 20, 30 years, not really talked about. And, um, I couldn't really find a real reason why, you know, maybe it's just something that wasn't recognizable. Uh, My experience, and I've talked about this with other guests on the show where, you know, it's, uh, you know, traditional medical residency is uh, meant to be very, very arduous and very, you know, challenging and meant to, you know, kind of put you through almost kind of like a semi pseudo haze. Mm -hmm. The gauntlet (laughs) is a better
1: (laughs) punch it to the gauntlet yeah. see if you make yeah, it on yeah, the other yeah. side
0: <laughs> yeah yeah oh man i remember that show american gladiators oh awesome. yes i love that show. oh yes. yes great show hey guys we're gonna be taking a short break but don't go anywhere we'll be right back welcome back to thrive bites let's get back to the interview But um you know it's 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 a process there that, that most you know pretty much all medical professionals it doesn't matter whether you decide to do primary care or you know surgery or anything in between that everyone goes through and um it's an arduous you know thing and you put in literally blood sweat and tears into it and um you know burnout is you know it's not as simple and you can probably speak more about this it's not as simple you know as just overworking and working to the point of exhaustion. I would also add to it that it's really about losing, you know, why you do this in the first place. You know, kind of, you know, n- you know losing that fire, losing that passion along the way because healthcare is not what it used to be. You know, there's just so many different, you know, cooks in the kitchen um, type of scenario where it's just so much between the doctor and the patient. Oh, yes. and so in a way, every doctor, no matter what specialty, wears so many hats. So, you know, speak a little bit about it. Like how, you know, what do you see nowadays, you know, from fellow colleagues?
1: So burnout is a tricky thing because when we think about it, we always think of the end user. We always think of the physician that's burned out, but it's interesting because yes, the physician does get burnt out, but the, the whole process is not just the individual process. So what am I talking about? All right. So there is a, um, there is a construct that, um, is discussed widely and promoted by, um, Stanford. They have a program there called WellMD and it talks a lot, focuses on burnout. And, you know, when they look at, the factors that bring about a physician getting to that point where he or she feels burnt out, they noticed that it wasn't just personal resilience, right? Which is like, hey, how come you can make it through the gauntlet of residency, but you're unable to get out of this burnout thing? Like, why is this thwarting you? Like, this shouldn't happen. There's really um, three interconnecting domains. So the first domain is efficiency of practice. So in everything that we do, every specialty that we're involved in, you know, Colin, you mentioned that there are some external um, forces at play that sometimes can dictate what we do and the time we spend with our patients and all of the extraneous things that we have to do external to the patient encounter. So an efficiency of practice is definitely going to affect us as physicians, as the ones who are providing care to our patients. So if there is a, uh, optimized efficiency of practice, there's likely going to be joy participated and experienced by everyone on the team. So simple things like for me in my specialty, something like, um, I am I become the rate limiting step in any particular scenario. So an example of that would be say a patient comes in and they have a laceration or a cut. Mm-hmm. And that laceration requires suturing or stitches or staples. And um, when I enter the room, the wound has already been cleaned. So my team has seen this, foreseen what is needed, and they have cleaned the wound. They have left the items that I will need in order to to tend to the wound at the bedside. This is something that is a satisfier for everybody because now I come in, I see the patient, I can do everything I need to do in that one encounter, and then the patient can be discharged. Another patient can be seen. The patient is happy because they don't spend a huge amount of time in the emergency department. The team is happy because they have, you know, they're able to do something for someone very quickly and get them where they need to be. So, you know, items like that. So that would be an example from my specialty. I know of other specialties where, you know, having things set up, um, having a team that is going to set up your, um, for procedures or for the encounters or whatever it is, but making the practice run efficiently is going to bring joy to not only the physician, but it's also going to bring joy to the rest of the team. So that's one modality. So an efficiency of practice. The other modality is um, a culture of wellness. So this is more of a systems issue. So efficiency of practice is sort of a systems issue, but culture of wellness is purely systems. So that is what is the institutional philosophy when it comes to an item. So one particular example would be, so say, for example, there is a difficult case that we have. So you're in the OR and the case goes badly. And what happens after that? Is there a debriefing that happens immediately to you know, basically amongst the staff so that they can deal with that. Because every time that we as doctors, nurses, etc., cetera, have a bad outcome, it affects us. Why? Because we're human and our job is to care for people. It is not to harm anyone. So whenever there is harm done, um, there is an effect, an emotional effect. So if the culture is hey, yes, we had a bad situation occur. Yes, we may have lost our patient. If the culture is, let's take this moment right now as a team to have a debriefing, to see what we could have done differently, to see how we could have had a different outcome, to see how everyone is feeling and dealing with this. This is particularly um, evident and crucial in situations like in my specialty, when we have a child that we are working on and we end up losing the child, that is devastating. It's devastating to everyone on the team, not just the doctors, the nurses, but the techs, the person that's cleaning up the room after the child's body has been removed. I mean, it is is—it's something that affects everyone. So having a debriefing, which takes like five, 10 minutes, after, immediately after this has happened, taking a moment of silence to acknowledge the preciousness of that patient's life and then talking amongst us to see and see how we're doing to start that conversation. Because what we do as health professionals is we have a category, we have a box that we put all our micro traumas into and tuck it away and put it away so we don't ever have to really deal with it. It's our defense mechanism. It allows us to be able to be in a case where we're working on somebody for an hour and maybe we lose that person. Maybe we bring them back and maybe they're able to go on to the next level of care and then moving on to the sore throat or the belly pain or whatever, whatever it is that is the concern of the next patient. How can we go from a loss to having complete impartiality with the next case, the only way that we're able to do that is we take that micro trauma, that loss that we felt from losing that patient or having a bad outcome and putting it into that box and tucking it away. So you can well imagine that you know we do that as a defense mechanism. and so if the whole team, the whole culture is is set such that whenever we have a blip, a bad piece, a bad item, a bad event, that we deal with it in real time. And then we have an extension that if you need more, if you need more counseling, if you need more, if you need more, that there's a modality in which to do that. So that is when the system is set up to make sure that everybody on the team has well their wellness addressed. And this is not yoga classes or meditation. This is literally things like what I just described, where you have immediate debriefing, after you've had a bad case or a negative outcome. And then the final domain is personal resilience. So that's the thing that is dealing with the end user. Now that is, you know, you as an individual having mantras, maybe that you use that will help you during your d- the tough times. That is maybe um, doing some other kinds of resilience training, but setting yourself up before you're in the moment when you're feeling that when you're, when you're feeling that compassion fatigue or when you're feeling like, you know, you're on that spectrum of burnout and you, you feel like you want to walk away. So or rec- even recognizing that you're having a problem, which is half the battle, right? Because most of us, we go on and half we half don't half even half know that we're burnt out. We don't know. And we may not manifest it in a negative way. You know, it may just be simple things that we used to do that we're not doing now And ultimately, I mean, when we're really far gone is when it starts affecting our job, but typically it doesn't affect the job right away. You know, it's kind of like any other kind of cycle, you know, and I I mean, I hate to compare it to addiction, but like for the person who is the alcoholic or the person who utilizes recreational drugs, the job is the last thing that is affected. Usually it's the rest of their life that falls apart before the job gets affected. So, you know, you know, so it's the three domains working together really that is going to really make a difference when it comes to burnout. And everybody's path is different. Everybody's experience is different. Everybody's trigger is different. So it's complicated.
0: (laughs) It It is because, because at the end of the day, you're dealing with, um, you know, yeah, obviously you have a systems, um, you know, component to it. You have the, you know, the patient's interactions and then you have the end user. So a lot of it is really dealing with like humanistic, um, you can't even apply metrics to it. It, it, it. It's it's a very tricky thing. There's a yes. lot of gray to it, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, we just need to have a better infrastructure obviously personal resilience is key i mean not just your professional life but you know you don't know what that you know the, the the doctor, the healthcare provider, they are human as well. You don't know what they're going through in their own personal life. You don't know the challenges and ups and downs, whether they've had trauma growing up or whether you know they are dealing with death or you know other things outside of work. So a lot of things can be accumulated, um, and uh, it's definitely something that we have to be more and more mindful of, um, practicing self-awareness, self-care, self-love, um, and just making it, uh, increasing our awareness, you know, for everyone, not just, you know, our providers, but, you know, our patients as well Is that, you know, we're also people as well, but we are here to show up to take care of you as well. So, um, just kind of shifting gears, and I love. I want you to talk about, you know your your tribe. Um, you know, you've created fervently fit with Charmaine, and um, I love your website. It is so colorful. Um, there's so so many different pieces of who you are, and um, I. What is I want you to kind of speak about you know the the purpose of creating a culture of um you know leading women in you know and creating this community you know what what is what is it that you know we need from that
1: well i think that you know, the biggest thing is that we have to really be in a space where we feel like it's okay not to be perfect. We have to feel like we're could be in a space where we can share the things we're working on. And I think that is that vulnerability that m- can make all the difference. And, you know, it's kind of like a double-edged sword, you know, as a female, particularly if you're a female position, because, you know, you are expected to be excellent at everything. You're expected to be excellent at mm you know family if you have a family you're expected to be excellent at work um sometimes even more than excellent because you know you may be in a situation where you're in a male dominated field and so you're having to kind of go up against um, expectations are of you, like lower expectations from you. And so you have to kind of fight that battle. So, you know, the focus on your mental toughness, the focus on your physical toughness can make all the difference. Um, so that introspection piece, that piece where you are thinking about, well, what is it um, that's holding me back? What is it that um, is making me not start that exercise program? What is it that's making me not eat well, what is it that makes me not want to, you know, put myself out there and go for that promotion? What is it, you know, like, what is it? Well, it all boils down to a simple word, and that word is fear. Fear is the backbone for everything. Fear makes us not step out of our comfort zone. Fear makes us not ask for the things that we really want. Fear makes us cower and, you know, hold back. And so, you know, I discovered this when I realized that my own fear was holding me back. And that was mainly, um, so I talked with you about the burnout experience, but, um, most recently, um, my fear of public speaking, which is why I alluded to the fact that my suit was giving me courage. I had a crippling fear of public speaking that was holding me back. And, you know, you may think, how is that even possible? Because as physicians, we have public speaking skills tested every, you know, very frequently. Everywhere, everywhere. everywhere. I mean, when we're talking to patients, you talk it to a patient, you talk to, to a patient and their family. That's public speaking. You're speaking on um, rounds during uh, medical school during. Um, residency, you're you're the chief resident. You're giving you know rounds to um, grand rounds to your team or to the hospital. I mean, you're constantly asked to speak in public in very varying la- levels, right? So you know to have a fear of this entity it's is it's not really gonna be beneficial, right? I mean, yes, I was able to do it and I did okay at it, but it was the emotion that was surrounding it. It was the sleepless night before the talk. It was the sweaty palms, the palpitations. It was the rumination on things like you're going to trip on the cord and fall flat on your face and have a bloody face and you gonna be blood on your suit, blood on the stage. And then you're going to slip in the blood and you fall again. And then you're going to have your slides not work. I mean, you, you get it. Yeah. Like there, you know, yeah. there's all, there are all these things that mentally can cripple you. And also, the physical manifestations with the sweaty palms and the palpitations that can thwart your progress as well and prevent you from truly being the amazing person that you are and that you're known to be. And so, you know, it is going after whatever that fear is for you. For me, it's the fear of public speaking, the fear, it may be a fear of something else, but is like tapping into that Going after that, that really helps to make us stronger and really helps us to emerge victoriously. So in the, in the women's group, I talk a lot about that on the podcast. That is the crux of the podcast. Like we talk about fear, right. what we're experiencing, how we can get around it, how we can get over it, how we can go through it, and how we can help each other because we all have different pathways. We have different battles. We have different fears, but we have that common desire to be better than we were yesterday. And one of the ways in which we can do that, and I'm talking about fears that are not going to be causing you any physical harm, right? So obviously if you're in the middle of a a, a forest and a black bear is approaching, that fear that you feel, that's real. Like, listen to that one. <laughs> Don't need to face that one. But you know, if it's something else, like you know, you are afraid of asking for what you want, you are afraid of negotiating your next contract, whatever that is, that's going to thwart your progress to greatness. Then facing that is really what we need to do because that's going to where that's going to be where we see our greatest personal growth, and we're really going to right. see success. So that is um, pretty much what um, I focus on um, in the women's community and uh, also on the podcast.
0: Hey, guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, thank you so much for doing that. And um, I'm sure our listeners, whether female um, and or, you know, being a healthcare provider would definitely appreciate it, especially, you know, I mean, again, speaking about healthcare, it's like, you know, whether you are going to a primary care or visiting your doctor in the ER or in the surgeon's office, you know, you only get a very, very limited amount of time. Right. And you know, that's the nature of um, you know, the beast, quote unquote. And in that in that in that time, you're talking about just prescriptions or what to do next or whether you need to be set up for a procedure. You don't actually know who your healthcare provider is at the end of the day. Right. And if you are relatively healthy and you only come in once a year, you know, you only know your your physician for just once a year for physical wellness checkup. So by you doing this, um, and I applaud you again for it is that, you know, people get to know the story and the struggles and the triumphs and the obstacles behind, you know, a physician behind a healthcare provider behind, you know, the person that serves others. Right. And when you're able to kind of talk about your own fears, um, and your own, you know, self-limiting, you know, beliefs, um, you know, you're, you are relating, you know, so like you said, it's at the community and people come in from different walks of life. So they all, they have that commonality of fears. Um, but you're able to relate because, you know, this is who we are as humans. You know, right. I may not be, you know, in your shoes and you may not be in a mine, but we are able to connect with one another because of that, um, because of that commonality.
1: Absolutely. And there are men in the community too. I don't want you to think that this is just women, (laughs) but, 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 but but, but I have to say that, you know, I mean, obviously like I'm a female, I'm a physician. And so female professionals are going to relate to me. Um, that does not mean I've had men on the show. I've had a, I have actually had a surgeon on the show. I don't know if you know, um, Darko, but he was on the show before. So, you know, it's just like, uh, (laughs) there are men that come on the show, but yes, it is. It is targeted towards female professionals, and um, and 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 it, and the interesting thing is that you know it's uh, you know I started the thing because I was afraid of public speaking, and I wanted to like have a modality to, in order yeah. to face that boldly, and it has really blossomed to something very special because um we've had people on the show i had a lawyer from the uk and she went through burnout you know in her profession and she was able to share that perspective and how you know fear played a huge role in that i mean it was phenomenal and so the people that have been on the show or have reached out to me separately it's just it's beyond my wildest dreams like i never thought that wow. by me sharing you know, my craziness (laughs) that somebody else would, you know, find that appealing and, you know, tune in every week. So it's, it's, it's been an incredible journey and, you know, my heart is definitely full and overflowing because You know, especially when I hear people say, yeah, you know, I'm facing my fear because they always say like punch fear in the face. It's like one of the things that I say. And so people come back and they're like, hey, Dr. G, I'm punching fear in the face by doing X, Y, Z. And it's just really, really cool. So, yeah, no, we do have men on the show, though. We do have men in the tribe.
0: (laughs) Well, guys who are listening, definitely, you know, listen into uh, her stuff because like I said, I mean, you know, whether you're male or female or anything in between, you know, you want to be, you know, we're all human at the end of the day, you know, that's a commonality and fear is a commonality. Um, Honestly, like fear could be an entirely separate talk, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's how you relate. It's how you, how we connect with one another and by, you know, increasing and increasing engagement um, with, you know, people of your tribe, people of your community, um, you know, that's how we are able to kind of move forward togetherness, you know, what I'm saying, um, I think, uh, in the age of uh, being in the virtual world and social media and online and all, all that stuff, it's, you know, for me, you know, it's kind of sad that we have to create communities virtually, but, you know, because everyone is, you know, pretty much online, uh, yeah. you know, we don't have that you know, um, less and less of like the book clubs and No, you know, the, and the, it the breaks social, my heart. Social, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the social gatherings and I don't know, like you know, a, a, a library or you know, the or a coffee shop store. or something. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, you know, yeah. like you, you, you definitely have this. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like it's less and less because, um, yeah, we just need that. And um, you know, how how has it been, um, through your speaking and podcasting? You know, it sounds like a lot of people is giving you a lot of great <laughs> feedback. You know, do they connect with you more live, call you up, or is it more you know feedback online? Um, that you know people resonate. With you,
1: so I get a lot of feedback online. I do um, when I am doing a speaking engagement. Depends on what kind it is because I do speaking engagements within my specialty, and I also do speaking engagements related to fear um, outside of the specialty. And so. Um, You know, it depends. Like if I'm at a meeting and I'm giving a talk, then there's more likely, there's more likely that I'm going to get a lot of feedback in real time. Somehow. Doctors tend not to give real-time feedback when you give them a talk. <laughs> I don't know why. Even when you say, you know, how can I be better because I want to be better, they still kind of right, hes- right. hesitate. So, you know, that's just, I guess that's our culture. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know They're if you like, find I that.
0: Don't like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Why you yeah. When, you,
1: when about you, about you put somebody in the, the spot know. and you ask them for real <laughs> feedback <laughs> and you say, no, no, I really want the feedback because I want to improve next time. They kind of look at you like you're strange because it's, I guess, it's not something that we typically do. So, um, so I would say the majority then would be coming from online. So either I get a message, um, to my email or I get a comment through one of my social platforms, um, that your yeah, usually that's, that's how it comes to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Charmaine, this has been great. Um, I definitely want to close out. And um, I love hearing about my guests um, and how they personally thrive. Um, Obviously, throughout this episode, throughout our session together, um, you know, we've heard a lot about, you know, your up and comings, your journey, and how you kind of serve your community um, and the broader um, world. And um, I want to know, how do you elsewhere? How do you Keep that fire going. Uh, you know what motivates you to get up in the morning. How do you keep pushing yourself? Um, and then after that, um, I would love for you to share three tips in terms of the audience members, whether you know they are uh, men and women. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, how three tips in terms of how do you go about finding courage um, okay. and 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 increasing that resilience for themselves.
1: Okay. All right. Um, So how do I, what motivates me? So um, I mentioned before that I did a lot of personal development during that transition period and that has continued. So now I make sure that I have some form of personal development every single day. So it may be that I listen to a recording or a watch a video or a read a few pages in a book but that is really important and then the other thing that I've been doing lately and this is also probably gonna lean towards a tip for um, resilience, but I have been practicing a gratitude practice. And what it is, is literally as soon as I open my eyes, before I do anything else, before I put my feet on the floor, before I go to the bath and brush my teeth, I literally start thinking about three people. Well, it's, it started with three people, and then now it's actually up to five people, but I start thinking about the three people that mean the most in my life right now. And then I specifically think of characteristics of each that person, like multiple characteristics. And I am thankful for I like physically, not physically, but I like in mentally will say, you know, I am grateful for my husband because he's an amazing father. I am grateful for my husband because he is um he is a great friend. Like, you know, everything, like all of the qualities. I just run through them about each person Mm. and it just provides a grounding to begin the day that essentially makes you feel like you're unstoppable because you Mm. are grateful for the people that are helping you to be awesome. You know what I mean? And so that's, that's one thing. And, um, And then the other thing um, that I would say, so that's tip number one for resilience is to, to start a gratitude practice. You can literally start with three people or you can start with three things that you're grateful for. So it can be as simple as I am grateful for having woken up this morning. I am grateful for having my health. If you have it, I am grateful for being able to serve people in whatever capacity. So whatever it is for you, like just even doing that before doing anything else every day for a couple of weeks is transformative because what that does is it basically puts deposits in your resilience bank because it gives you a power and a, um, a power that comes from gratitude. So whenever you're thinking about others outside of yourself, it increases your internal power. Um, So that's one. And then the second one is you can develop your personal affirmations. So, these are things that you can put on sticky notes, you could put them on your, you know, on your computer, you could put them on the mirror where you brush your teeth, you can put them in the kitchen next to the coffee maker. Wherever it is that you can see these statements, then you're going to see them multiple times a day. It's going to help with your resilience, it's going to help with you facing your fear. So, say for example, um you have an affirmation that says I will be bold in asking for what I want. Right. So a lot of people tend to not ask for what they want. They, you know, they get presented with something and instead of asking the questions and asking for what they want, they just assume that that is the final offer. And so anybody who negotiates, no, know, knows that that is never the final offer. There's all, everything is negotiable, right? So if, but if you don't ask for what you want, In every day, every day, every day, little negotiations, you will not ask what you want when, when you have a big negotiation. So that can definitely steal your joy. (laughs) And so, you know, having affirmations that you, you know, you have around and that you tell yourself those, those messages solidify and it become unconscious and they basically, um, create a mental toughness that will be, that will give you the tools that you need when you're faced with the storm. Cause then you'll have the tools to be able to make it through the storm and be resilient. Um, a third tip, um, would be, um, don't be afraid to practice the pregnant pause. I love this thing. And this thing is like amazing because, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because literally this is, this is how, this is how it works. You know? So maybe I, and I'm I, am I don't know. I'm, I, perhaps this may never have happened or maybe it did. I don't know, but maybe I might've been on the phone with a consultant trying to negotiate a pathway for my patients to get the next, the next, to get to the next step in our system, our health system. And maybe the consultant was not, um, either not in agreement with the path that I've, that I've devised or, are basically dismissive of me, or maybe they might've been having a bad day and they may have may or may not have been yelling at me for waking up at three o'clock in the morning. So perhaps that was yeah. the case. All right. So I say, Hey, you know, how's it going? Uh, oh, I'm so sorry to have woken you up, but you know, I really want to make sure Mrs. Jones has, you know, what she needs. And so this is what I'm calling you. And then they, they say what they're saying and I say what I'm saying. And then they say, but I'm not admitting them or I'm not going to take them to the operating room. And this is what I do. And it kills them. It kills them. (laughs) People do not like the pregnant pause. Every time at the end of the pregnant pause, I always get, all right, Charmaine, I'll take them. (laughs) So, you know, you could use a pregnant pause in everyday life. You can use the pregnant pause to disarm someone. So if the person's yelling at you and they're super irate, just stop talking. Just do the pregnant pause and it works like a charm. So that's one other tool that I've used for my own resilience. And you may find it helpful. The audience may find it helpful. So um, the three tips were um, practicing a gratitude practice having affirmations and have them having them in a place where you either can say them multiple times a day or you see them multiple times a day until they're internalized and then practicing the pregnant pause
0: i love it i love it um thank you so much for sharing um, your tips of wisdom and uh the pregnant pause that's the new one for me <laughs> <laughs> you bet you gonna use it not <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, you know what it is it's, it's an awkward silence it's kind of like uh, i'm not i'm not okay with this awkward silence so i'll just give in you know right so, right yeah yeah so it's been great uh thank you Charmaine, again for coming on to the show if um any of the audience members uh, want to reach out want to look you up want to see more about you know who you are and what you're about where can they find you
1: Okay. Um, so my website is www dot fervently F E R V as in Victor E N T L Y fit F I T with W I T H Charmaine C H A R M as in man dot com. I'm on all the social media platforms. I'm on LinkedIn at Charmaine Gregory M.D. I'm also on Instagram with the same and Facebook with the same. The podcast is called Fearless Freedom with Dr. G, and it is available on all the podcast listening platforms.
0: Nice, nice. And we'll definitely have that in the show notes um, when it comes out. So... Again, thank you so much. Um, you know, guys, this has been a, another episode of Bites. Please check back here weekly, um, and uh, we will see you on the next episode. Thank you so much, Charmaine.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, guys, that was another episode of Bites. If you like that episode, please subscribe and follow for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.